thinking. Uh, all right, perfect. Well, we are live. Uh, so welcome to episode 219 uh, of Together BHA. Um, I feel like we need to have a little song, don't we? Little party in the oh USA for my. you boys over there. All right, no, we'll this wasn't it. planned, uh, but I would have vetoed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right so welcome welcome uh for everybody who's tuned in uh you will obviously see a fourth face on the horizon um and thank you everybody for all of your applications uh throughout the last six to eight weeks uh to join the show we had a lot of people uh ask uh we spoke to a lot of people uh and ultimately uh this this is where we fell so robin welcome back to the show yeah back uh, yeah it's been a while <laughs> it has um so if for everybody else listening if you want to just introduce yourself uh your little brighton story uh just a yeah. little bit about you uh where you're based and then also uh just a little bit of talk on the fact that you were on the pod for a little stretch before as well yeah absolutely so um i am a season ticket holder but i'm based in the northeast of england so i live um just outside middlesbrough glamorous uh, glamorous place to be um i've been following the albion since 1994 when i was seven that's when i went to my first game um so yeah been been a season ticket holder since with dean um it's pretty difficult to get to loads of games uh from where i am but i um i get down to as many as possible and um and a fair few away games so yeah that's my my kind of albion my my history i got into it family um family all from brighton uh, my granddad got me into it um, he first started going to watch the Albion in the 1920s. Um, so he went to the Goldstone back then. So, yeah, it was kind of brought up with him being largely miserable about about the Albion, um, to be quite honest. Um, he lived till he was 100. So he actually he lived to see it get promoted to the Premier League. Um, and his funeral was on the day that we won 3-0 at West Ham which was arguably at that point our best performance in the Premier League. So there was a nice little, we sent him out, um, Jose Esquiero sent him out with a you know, lovely, oh. uh, lovely thunderbolt from distance. So yeah, that was my, um, that's my kind of um, my Albion backstory. And yeah, the, a few people might remember I did a, a fairly kind of brief and uh, informal stint with Josh, probably three or four, probably three or four years ago. I think it was kind of COVID, COVID time. Um, and we did a few interviews. So we did um, Andrew Crofts. Uh, we did Bruno. See, that was great at the time, but <laughs> don't know how well that one's aged. Um, and then we did Peter Ward. Um, and then we did Gus, um, which was obviously Josh and I had always joked that if we got Gus on, that was that would basically be it. Um, and then that was actually it for me. I think that was the last one I did. <laughs> Um, <laughs> for, for quite it a went while. That badly, yeah. Yeah, I mean it was great. <laughs> Paul I mean, Barber put was, a hit out on him. Yeah, I mean that that was that was a great one. I mean Gus could have spoken for for days, um, and I think we didn't edit anything out of it. I mean he was obviously very, he was uh, he gave us as much as he could legally within the bounds of what he was allowed to. But yeah, that was um, that was the last one, and then uh, yeah, kind of family. My my kids were were really young at that point, so it was difficult to give give a huge amount of time. So now I had a bit more time, and then when I saw the saw the um, the application process, I thought, yeah, why not? So yeah, glad to be here. Welcome, very glad to have you. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Uh, James Elliott in the chat, welcome back. Thank you, James. I hope you had a lovely summer. Uh, Stephen 
immediately piling on the pressure uh, before we've even spoken a word and gone live. Uh, he's keeping his roast dinner in the oven for this. Um, so <laughs> we are we are playing a risky game here. Um, so the main onus is on you two stateside boys who were the boots on the ground here. Uh, so no pressure. Um, but uh, we've had uh, a rather busy summer. Uh, Albion-wise, haven't we, uh, on pretty much all fronts. Uh, a fair bit of inward movement, transfer-wise. I feel like almost all of them we spoke about before we even logged off for the year because they were done so quickly. Um, but the big one, of course, is the preseason tour to the United States. A long time coming, one that had been planned for a while and COVID ruined for a number of years. Uh, but we did make the trip over for the very American-sounding summer series um, and Craig and Adam, you were you were both there, uh, Atlanta in New Jersey. Adam, you also got to make it to the training uh, facility as well for the uh, open training. What was the vibe like? Uh, you know, was there a lot of people at the open training stuff? What was the attendances like? What was the uh, Craig? Because you were in Atlanta, you were you were part of a double header, which was very odd. Like, just tell us everything, really. The floor is yours. The floor is yours. Go on, Adam. You want to start, or do you want me to go? Uh, well, I can maybe I can talk about the training thing. I can mm. start with yeah. that, and then we can talk about the actual games. Um, and you went to you went to a couple of like the stateside seagulls did a thing in Atlanta, so it'd be good to hear about. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, it was so this training session was at like Rutgers University in the middle of New Jersey on a Monday morning. Um, so I was expecting to turn up and be like one of two people there. Um, but, uh, it was a, there was a crap ton of people there. I'll tell you what, between that and the game in, in New Jersey the other day, a sea of yellow jerseys. There is a lot of team Ecuador fans that we've picked up, um, along the way a lot. Like the training session was full of Ecuador. And, and as soon as like SD Pinion and Caicedo came out, um, they were the ones that got all of the biggest cheers. They were the, they were hounded for all the autographs afterwards. Whereas, you know, you've got other people milling around. It's just like Milner came up, signed one thing. It's like, no one cared. Um, so it was, that was a little bit weird in that sense. The other thing was that this training session, like Glenn Moe's just sort of strutting about randomly because he's not, uh, not a ton of people necessarily, I guess here would have necessarily had the history of, of Mari. He's just trotting about in his sunglasses and the people that knew him could just <laughs> walk right up and have a little chat with him. And I think Craig will talk about this as well, but same thing happened with like Tony Bloom was just going to local bars, restaurants, the events, people were chatting with him. The same with Barber. Like it was a really, really nice experience for people over here that have been essentially starved of being able to interact with the Albion at any point basically then got the faucet like opened on full blast. You've got everything. You've got full access to everyone. And it was fantastic. Uh, the training was, it was a really good vibe. There was a lot. I met some really awesome people there as well. Like uh, the guy that Paul that runs, Paul Dorsey that runs State Size Seagulls went to everything. I think he's based in Baltimore. He went to every single game, did an event at every single game, and then went to New Jersey. He drove three and a half hours for this training session in one day, then drove back, and then the next day flew to Atlanta. Absolute nutcase. Um, but he was, yeah, he was fantastic. It was great to meet him. It was great to see the training because you saw how deserved he kind of wrote things out. Um, a lot of just obviously, this, bear in mind, it was 
sweltering. It's been the most insane heat wave for people that aren't based in the US at the moment. Like record temperatures, probably something to do with us destroying the planet, but we'll dig into that another time. Um, and it was like 90 something, 94 degrees on Monday morning at the training. Same with the game in Jersey. It was like 96 degrees on a Friday night. So in Celsius, what is that? 34, 35 or something absurd like that. Um, so they were all in a tough state for, for the training. And there was a lot of the players that basically just did a bit of warm up and then sat down. I'm talking your Adam Lallana and Sir James Milner's. They were sat in the center circle for a lot of it. Solly March, like the players that weren't up to full fitness. You had another portion of the guys that pretty much exclusively were doing shooting training. Um, that was Pascal Gross, uh, the late Dennis and Duff. Uh, and I'm trying to think it was one other guy doing it as well. And then outside of that, you had like a sort of a, don't think it was necessarily 11 on 11 but they were basically just doing a drill for about 30 40 minutes of give the ball to the center backs get the press to come on to you and then and basically just get it to the front lot um so every time we look at that in the game and you saw that when you watched the start like right from the kickoff against newcastle what you saw was exactly what they spend an absolute boatload of time in training doing all these little quick passing processes um and that for some reason up front, like on the right side of up like forward, was Stephen Alzate was playing there. Um, tell you what, I've never seen someone with worse shooting in a training session than him. He was diabolically bad. Uh so and, and that wasn't that impressive either on the other end when he was doing the shooting stuff as well. Pascal Gross has got an absolute sweet strike on him, to no surprise to anyone. Um I've gone on absolute length here. I don't know if this was too much or whatever, but it was amazing experience all in all. Training session was great to be able to see like how Deserby splits things out and how everyone kind of gets gets into that groove and that DNA of what he wants to instill. That doesn't happen overnight. It's a lot of training, seemingly. What was the what was the access like? I saw you got a couple of selfies with some of the players. What was that? What was that like for? Well, really, like the Ecuadorian contingent and stuff like that, right? Like, what was that kind of ability to? Because obviously, security has to be high for these things. But what was? Uh, what was? Not it really. Like? No? Not really. No, there wasn't really <laughs> hardly any security at all. Um, you. Uh, by the way, the other thing I forgot outside of Ecuador is Japanese, like passionate Japanese contingent. Like the Matoma effect is like really, really a thing. Um, and like young kids obsessed with Matoma. Like it was, it was, it was really nice to see. Um, but there was access. They, most of the players stopped by afterwards. You, we were all up on a sort of like a with Dean esque stand because basically the Rutgers soccer field has <laughs> was pretty much better than the with Dean, which isn't really saying much. Uh, and we were all stood up on this thing. And then at the end of the session, you come down and they were all chatting and signing. Uh, you can see my shirt at the back there. That's normally facing the other way with Matoma on the back. I think I've got that signed by uh, about seven, eight different players at the end. Donkey, uh, there was Danny Welbeck and Tarek Lamptey were hanging about together. They were great. Like uh, for some reason, I was fanboying most of all with Danny Welbeck. I don't really know why, but he's got he's got an aura about him. Uh, there's something like really there's uh, some sort of gravitas to him, which uh, yeah, even though you've got the other superstars, there's something about Danny uh, Lamptey. I told him don't leave, uh, and he laughed at that. Uh, he's so tiny. I know it's silly to say that, but he is really small. Um, yeah, so there was it was you, it was pretty much unfettered. And Craig will like probably talk about um, some of the like events where Tony and that showed up. I met a guy after the game 
uh, after the Newcastle game in a in a weird, a weird bar in Newark. So for those that don't know, Newark in New Jersey, with all due respect to anyone that's from there, it's about 20, 30 minutes from where I live. Absolute shithole. Horrible place. Um, and there's a there was a bar there that you, we had to get patted down to get into just in case you were armed. Um, it was uh, it's like Mexican food, but had a club uh, and and then hooker as well. A hookah, hooker, hookah sounds bad. It, maybe it had hookers, but it had you know the hookah that you said. So it was like a combination of maybe like fights kick off with guns, Mexican food, and then sort of Middle Eastern tobacco and a club. Uh, normally the last place I would ever go, but after a game when you've had like two giant $18 beers and you're like sweating because it's 96 degrees, you'll go anywhere. But apparently I met a guy, a Brighton fan there that had uh, come down from Toronto and he was like, I was in here earlier before the game. Tony Bloom was just in there, just chatting with everyone. Uh, and he was like, I chatted with him for 10 minutes. And then I met his brother in the toilet and had a chat with him. He was just shooting the shit with me. Uh, that was the kind of access that you got. Like it was just, it was open, completely open. It's fantastic. Yeah, it was. It was very similar for Atlanta as well. I think just the amount of people that we were able to meet. Like I was fortunate enough to get to one of those events in Atlanta, and like it's a you know it was it was a nice sort of pub. We got like the the first or second level wherever you're listening from. Like it go up the stairs, and there's like a, a booked out area, um, and all of a sudden you've got like two hundred Brighton fans all in the same space, and and the middle of Atlanta, Georgia, which is, you know, I guess for, for some of us, cause completely alien to even think about. Um, but then you get to meet some of the people that listen to this pod, which was incredible. Like the people that I spoke to and, and sort of just were able to speak to people like that. And I like Paul, just even the stateside seagulls in general was, was amazing. Um, and you just get to meet people from different walks of life, right? You've got people like us that, that maybe have grown up supporting the Albion. You've got people that have only got into it after a year or two that sort of got in at the, the 2017 promotion season. So you get this wild mix of people with different experiences from different areas. And, and I guess just in general, just what the Albion means to them and, and how they feel about it. So you have this complete concoction of different people from, from different cultures. And, and that was great, like uh, amazing. Um, and then whilst you're doing all of that, you're having a few beers, like you're, you're getting a little bit too comfortable, right? Uh, and a few hours before the game, you then get Tony Bloom, Paul Barber and Glenn Murray all walk in with um, like, like Ray Bloom as well, coming in as well. Um, obviously a complete rendition of Tony Bloom's Blue and White Army. But once that happens, right, that you're just sort of milling about and you're able to just go up to Paul Barber, speak to him for 10 minutes, like go up to Tony Bloom, speak to him for 10 minutes, like have a good chat with Glenn Murray, just because it's just, like you said, all access, just open, just a complete whirlwind of a, of an event to put on. And, and for those people to come in and spend genuinely an hour there when the kickoff is in two and a half hours time, um, it is crazy and, and very synonymous with, with what we, what we expect from, from this club anyway. Um, so the events and, and everything they put together, Paul with all the stateside seagull stuff, all the merch that he got, the little scarf, scarf behind me as well, like everything that, that they were doing and all of the setup those guys done was amazing um, and just added to everything. Um, and then you get to the game as well. Like, I mean, the New Jersey stadium was slightly smaller than the, the, the Atlanta one. Um, but the stadium in general was insane, right? And speaking to that double header, I'm sorry for a little bit of monologue here, but... Um, the aspect of the double header was very strange. Um, I think that's not something that we're fully expectant of or, or even curious about. So 
you get a lot of people in at the start, right? You, you have people with all these different shirts on, four different teams are all playing in the next four hours. And our game was first at 5.30, but the stadium was sort of half full at that time anyway with you know Newcastle and Chelsea fans even watching the spectacle. Um, and that's where it starts to feel a little bit exhibition-y, right? You, you've got your your stateside seagulls, you've got all of these all of these diehard Brighton fans watching this and you know and, and completely zoned into to what's happening on the pitch. Um, whilst for the majority of people there, uh, and I'd be completely honest, a lot of them were Chelsea and Newcastle fans, are just taking it in as a spectacle and as an exhibition. So um there was a, a that sort of feel about it. Um, the stadium itself, insane, right? I think we talked about the heat wave. It was about 38, 39 degrees that day. So we're talking over 100 Fahrenheit in Atlanta. Um, roof is shut, completely air-conditioned. Um, the beers were actually quite cheap as well compared to everywhere else that I've been in. Wait, in the well, US. I've been absolutely scammed here because the you Red have, Bull Arena is yeah. crap. Uh, you are as open air as you could be. Open air, the, the subs bench... Honestly, it looks like it's cardboard <laughs> boxes. Uh, I told I pay eighteen dollars for one beer. Yeah, it was actually not too bad in there. Like the the food and stuff was relatively cheap compared to Chicago, New York, wherever I've been. Um, so that was a, a nice little surprise. But yeah, it, tremendous stadium uh, for for anyone that has been to the Mercedes Benz in, in Atlanta. Um, just an outrageous venue. Um, but it was just a, such a fantastic thing. We all met up at halftime, like all the Atlanta Seagulls, obviously just are, are there from the start as well. Um, everyone was so welcoming. Everyone was so nice. It was just really great just to meet everyone um, and and have this sort of common thing. I know us expats, I think, Josh, you know, before before you move back, like you, you only know sort of three or four people within your vicinity or within your, your direct area. So to have so many Brighton fans in one area all at once and then getting to meet the people responsible or even, you know, involved in the club at such a high level um, was very surreal to a lot of people, even even myself. So uh, an amazing event. And and yeah, we, we missed Philadelphia. I heard that was also incredible. So if you went to that, then then well done as well. Like that looked like an amazing time too. Um, but just in general, just a, a crazy period of time and um very thankful for it yeah i so i went to the atlantic falcon stadium for a bears game um yeah, yeah. unbelievable unbelievable stadium Insane. um i just could not get it out of my head that it did feel like a ultra elite pe hall though <laughs> yeah like, yeah because it was so like because it was so like yeah they may as well it, because it's so like it's indoors it's a weird like build like it's like the structure's odd and it just has this gigantic pe feel for me like those like the pe gym you go into it just felt like that on just, like an insane amount of steroids it just feels really open like too yeah. like too open um so it's it, yeah it, i can see what you mean yeah that's very funny. I can, only, I can only imagine what it must feel like going to like the Qatar World Cup with some of those stadiums there, given no, that how massive no, they were. Um, yeah, and two goals a game on average uh, over in the summer series. Plenty of goals going in. Um, and all across, really, uh, the Albion scored one against Newcastle, two against Brentford, and three against Chelsea. Um, let's start with the, the obvious one, uh, the first one, Chelsea. And the one real big talking point that I wanted to come to here, and we'll start with you, Robin, is Jan-Paul Van Hecker. When's the last time you've saw someone get sent off for two yellow cards in a friendly? I know. Very, very odd, isn't it? It is. I mean, I was going to say in general, the good thing about the summer series was 
how competitive it was. Uh, you know, I was, I was obviously watching on TV, but it didn't seem like your normal, your normal friendly, certainly for the first three quarters of Did it. Did you, you know? miss the first half of the Newcastle game? Because that was one of the saddest halves of football I've ever witnessed. Yeah, I mean, that one, I, I sort of had it on in the background. Yeah, um, this is what it deserved. And was looking at it. But certainly, obviously, the Chelsea one was that. There's obviously a bit of needle still there, even for a pre-season friendly. Um, but yeah, I think, Josh, that epitomises it. Getting someone sent off um, in a pre-season friendly is a pretty good effort. I mean, I guess generally referees are a bit more lenient generally in pre-season friendlies because the point of it is you want to give both teams you know, 11 versus 11 proper match practice. So yeah, it was a, it was a very good effort. Um, what I also thought was notable at that game, as I've said to Josh on WhatsApp, I thought Colwell's body language was pretty poor. It didn't look like he really wanted to be there playing for Chelsea. I don't know if we're looking at that through blue and white tinted specs, um, but it, it, it didn't, it didn't look like he was hugely thrilled to be, to be playing for them. But yeah, in general, I thought, you know, all of them, all of the games were, were probably a better standard than we would normally face in, you know, in pre-season. I think it'll make a difference. You're saying that playing a third division Austrian team in the literal mountains is not good enough for you, Robin? That is, that is where I'm wandering <laughs> towards, yeah. That's real <laughs> but, football, that is. But I mean, having said that, that sort of preparation did deliver our best ever season last year. So, I mean... <laughs> Who am I so to... we're going to come 18th this year is that what you're saying yeah well, exactly it might revert it's, yeah um but certainly I think I mean that's generally what you know the kind of the criticism of pre-season is normally that it's you don't really get much from it you know as a fan you know you know a lot of the games are behind closed doors some of them you can't even get a stream for so for us to actually have three games in a week that for us in the UK, we could watch on Sky Sports Live, obviously slightly anti-social times, but and obviously for you guys in the States, you could go there and have it against Premier League opposition and you have most people in the squad get a decent amount of minutes. Um, it's it's pretty ideal as a pre-season yeah. programme, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, next week, we'll get into the season preview, what we're looking at as a team, uh, the probably more transfer nonsense between then and next week um and then kind of the Premier League as a whole but it's definitely worth touching on some of those players that made an impact in pre-season uh, I'm very much a, a boring person and a cynic in that I don't really care about pre-season uh they're just I don't care whether we win lose or draw um there's been I mean everyone else will know right there's been seasons at the Arbion where we've lost every single pre-season friendly and then got promotion or been unbelievable and there's also seasons where we've absolutely hammered teams i'm pretty sure sammy Huppier's preseason was like one of our best ever and then we got annihilated and was one of the worst brighton teams we've seen in the last decade so i'm not really a big fan of digging too deep into into some of these but i think as robin said it was a lot more competitive than normal uh with much better quality opposition uh and let's talk about the first player that's been popping up in the chat from mikey uh, and that's Simon Adingra. Um, we've all seen him over the last three games, uh, and Premier League managers are probably already uh, worriedly adding him to the notes uh, because he looked very dangerous, didn't he, Adam? Uh, yeah, I was... Well, of course, he scored a brace in that. Well, it was the first game, right? They've all melded into one for me at this point. Um, uh, and then when he came on... When he came on against Newcastle, you just felt like, all right, 
this is, especially when we then brought on Lamptey and put Lamptey in at left back. So you had the full left side was Lamptey and a dinger, and you're like, Christ almighty, may as well just do 100-meter sprints here, and they'd absolutely crush everyone. Um, uh, he looks – he's going to be spectacular. I, I, I know we his form and what he did at USG last year was – it's impossible for us to easily translate that, right? Because we've seen the sublime and the ridiculous between um, Matoma and Undav in, in terms of how well that translates. But there's something about him that's just very, very, very special. He will absolutely take on a man. I think what we really missed last year, if we missed anything, was when Matoma was flagging at the end of the season, we had no plan B. And if Adingra is the man that can come in 65, 70 minutes into a game, especially when we've got this, the European process happening this year as well. It's going to be really, really, really fun. He looks electric. He really does. And that's the key, isn't it? It's rotation, right? So, you you know, if you've got 45 minutes of Matoma and then 45 minutes of a ding, like there's, there's no respite for that poor right back that's going to have a very hard day. So um, that was the Atlanta game that he scored the brace. I thought he was... It was Atlanta? Yeah, yeah I told you they, also, they were one game for me, one yeah, big game. yeah, yeah. And he was, yeah, he was really good. I think he also played about five positions over the last sort of three games as well. So, um, you know, that was just par for the course for preseason. But when he was able to play in that sort of left left winger role, like he was, he's so quick and he's it so was a really good finish for that first goal as well. Was it? Was it an easy finish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he just he looks sharp, right? And he, he knows what he needs to do, and he he is very Matoma esque and his approach and but i think maybe a little bit more raw uh but it's just exciting right and we'll we'll talk about transfers and all that sort of stuff but but that sort of depth in those midfield wide areas um is going to be key for us yeah i mean the the run he made uh for steel's hail mary uh that Mm. was just unbelievable like you don't need to worry too much about his instincts do you Uh, which is always important when he's able to make a run like that cutting in uh, and then, as you say, the first touch and then finish was not something that would be easily done in a Premier League game, let alone when you're not up to match fitness. Uh, just absolute disgrace, really. Um, there was another one that we talked about as well last season uh, who was coming back to the club. Um, obviously, we are going to touch on Mr. Pedro here shortly, but I wanted to just touch on some of those returning loanees. Um, and that is Stephen Alzate, uh, Mr. Unable to Finish to Save His Life at the training session. Um I I expect things from him this season. I expect he's going to be an important addition to the squad. Uh, but I only watched two of the preseason games. I did not stay up for the first one. Uh, but he wasn't particularly impressive, was he? he? He seems like he's struggling to get up to speed. Was it him? Did he have the assist for Dingra's second goal? Brentford. Yeah. yeah, he did. I thought that was a pretty decent like kind of cross cross the box to the back post pass. Um, and that shows you what he's capable of. You know, he didn't have a huge amount of space to create that decent pass. But I agree with you. I think he's... I mean, Andy Naylor's put him down as the sort of the one to watch for the album. Well, that means he's going to be absolute crap then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, gone. He's gone AWOL. Naylor's vanished since the mid yeah, July, just... by the way. Yeah. Uh, it's um, been a say, I feel like we had a real gap in cut. Oh, no, no, it's been actually fine coverage. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with Josh. I mean, I agree with you, Josh. I think he's, it's a big season for him because obviously he was gone, you know, he was gone before Deserby arrived. So this is Deserby's first look at him. So you feel like this is a big season for him. He's going to have to 
show something. See, McAllister's gone. So there's, there, there is a, a vacancy in that role. And he's definitely got the potential. He's got, I mean, it's whether he's got the attitude to work under De Zerbi. We know, we know so far that De Zerbi doesn't take a huge amount of prisoners when it comes to him making a judgment as to whether someone does or doesn't fit his style. And it's whether he's got the consistency. Those are the two question marks that I think he had before he went away as well, which is probably why Potter was happy for him to be shipped out. I have to admit, I didn't follow him hugely last season, um, but I get the impression he, he played a fair amount of football. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a big season for him. We're going to have a lot of games. There will be time for him to make an impression. Um, and it's just whether or not he can he can step up. I'm still optimistic. I say the, that assist he got shows you what he's got in his locker. It's yeah. just whether or not he can step up and do that. You know, it's one thing doing it in a preseason game. It's another thing playing that exact pass in a Premier League game where you need to unlock a defence. I think bit of a it. shame. Bit of a shame to not see James Milner, Craig, at all this preseason. Uh, there's one other word we'll talk about that we haven't seen at all this preseason as well. But James Milner is is a bit of a big miss, <laughs> isn't it, for what we're hoping for him to provide this season? I was hoping we'd be able to see him get a bit of a run out. Yeah. I and that's, I think he's, what is he, 37, 38, right? Like, I think just a, a nice solid preseason under his belt without any sort of 40-degree <laughs> football games. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's, well, we'll obviously see a lot of him. I, I'm not really too worried about it. I think it's more just if he's up to, if he's up to fitness and, he, and he's ready to go, I don't see the risk in him at his sort of age or his, his sort of, predicament um i fully expect him to be coverage for the midfield i don't expect him to be getting serious minutes so let's just make sure he's fully fit before the the real games start coming for me but it, a shame yes but does it make sense also yes do we do we think that uh mr captain himself is getting a similar end of the deal here uh you know for those nfl fans especially in the us the elite players get much longer breaks and don't even participate in almost all of preseason, right? They're actually quite happy to rest them until maybe game three of preseason where it's your dress rehearsal. So Raya Valcano next week, Um, you know, at that point, they're happy to then slot in their star wide receivers or their quarterbacks. Do you think that both Milner and Dunk are being given that treatment for different reasons? Obviously with, with Milner, it's the, it's the 37 year old playing in a hundred degree heat. And for Dunkey, it's he played basically every minute of football last season um, and is probably absolutely shattered. And yeah. frankly, Deserby probably knows he doesn't need to do anything more with Lewis. He can just plug and play him and he's got yeah. his captain ready to go. Yeah, 100%. We knew he was injured, right? Because he had to pull out of the England squad not too long ago. So I think there was one interview. I don't know if I'm just making shout out, but like it, I think he was aiming to hit why not everybody else on yeah, twitter just, is this is content, just, just content. content it doesn't matter yeah yeah, yeah yeah whatever you quote me on this um i think i think he did a, an interview before the first game i think it was that he was going to try and hit the newcastle game um and that he's in training now so i can only assume that he's still injured slash taking precautions and um, but josh i think you're right anyway like there's no there's no need for that risk for these sort of preseason games especially who <laughs> who else we saw sort of ed turns and uh, other other center backs sort of deputizing in there anyway i yeah it, it makes sense even if he wasn't injured i fully expected him to to take a bit part role anyway unless i had severe heat stroke um during the training session he was heavily involved 
in that um, like tactical part of the, he he was the one that was always starting off the move. Everything came from him. Um, so he was training hard in that regard, which is why I was surprised. I thought he would play after that training session, which would have meant he would have played in Atlanta for the second game. Um, but uh, I, I hope we're all good there. I'm sure we are because I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just. I just have to. I've moved on from my solid March agenda to have a new one. But Van Heck is not it for me, and the drop off is obscene. Amen. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think there's a reason. I've taken some. Eagle. I've taken some heat for that in in our WhatsApp group that Josh and I are in. But I said exactly the same. I mean, I've seen him. I've seen him live a couple of times. I saw him play in the Newcastle game, obviously towards the end of the season where. Mm. Um, he got burned for certainly the last two goals. He was woefully out of position. Um, well, I say that. I mean, from the Newcastle away end, he may have been in perfect position. Who knows, given how far away from the pitch you are. Um, but certainly from there, it looked like he was he was woefully out of position. Um, I, yeah, I'm with you. There's, I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it, whether it's lack of confidence, whether it's he, his ability-wise, whether he's not quite there. But yeah, I'm with you. Not for me. Yeah, not there's... certainly on a regular. If you had to, if if you've got to think right, if Dunk or if Dunk got another lot, sort of longish injury, and you're looking for someone to come and play 10, 12 games consistently, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be overly happy with that for Van Hecker. Well, look, I, mean, I think that I absolutely think there's. <laughs> they came out very clearly and said, like, we're si- we've signed Igor. And then, like we will, st- well, they still were trying to get Colwell in the Caicedo deal. Like, I mean, if you love Van Hecker, why are you lobbing a bunch of centre backs in very fairly expensive ones if you're very confident in him? Why do we give him a new contract? I mean, he was out of contract this summer as well. Unless they just from they a profitability standpoint, yeah, get yeah. a fee for for him. But, um, he, but I mean, he was Player of the Year for Blackburn, wasn't he? I mean, when he was in the Championship. Yeah, he's another one of these ones yeah. who's maybe his level falls just in between. We might be obscenely wrong as well, but there was, I think, I don't even think it's necessarily defensive frailties. I think he seems all right for the most part defensively 90% of the time. Um, For me, the importance, especially of this system, is how well, when the pressure comes, how well do you then get the ball out to the right outlet so that we then are able to basically create that counter-attack with the one-man advantage? Dunk's ability to do that, as we all know, whether it's short or a long ball, is second to none. Like with the number of passes that we saw from him last year, the number of lo- accurate long balls, I remember so many passes that he made that created all of our attacking momentum and opportunity. Van Hecker does not have that right now. He just absolutely does not have that. Um, and that then means that everything else sort of doesn't seem to work quite as effectively. And I know it's hard to draw conclusions necessarily on just seeing a preseason game, but like that and that Newcastle game, like it was very, very apparent, like playing Veltman and Van Hecker at centre-back, there was, we found it impossible to get the ball out. As he never, Matoma barely touched the ball in the first half. We couldn't even get it out to the right wing to Buena Notte. He didn't get many opportunities. Guarantee if you're playing Duncan Webster, completely different situation. And that's it. Another, it? Yes. Sorry, Josh. It, no, that, no. That key feather in the cap that he's missing. I, I don't doubt that he's a good defender in the right system, but it's just not our system. I think that's that's pretty much how I feel about Van Hoek. I'm coming back to you, Craig. Uh, not done with you. 
got a question for you uh, because we've got another one that we want to talk. I want to talk about here. Um, and honestly, like I would never have been able to have made this one up three months ago, uh, but he featured in every single preseason friendly. Uh, the name Hinshelwood has been quite a f- common one throughout Albion history. Uh, and he is back again. Um, Jack Hinshelwood made all three preseason friendly appearances uh, this this summer. Um, I think he likewise played about four different positions, the poor lad across the back and or in the midfield and just about everywhere else. Uh, but as that, that's got to be a hell of a, uh, a blessing from Roberto De Zerbi, hasn't it? That you're, even in preseason games, you are someone that is being looked at as a constant rotation option. Uh, he's probably a name we're going to be seeing a fair bit of this season, do you think? I think so. Uh, either that or you're, you're priming him for a decent loan, right? But otherwise you wouldn't have him in every in all three, right? I think if you, you dropped him in for 45 for one of them, then it'd make sense. But it sounds like it's going to be a prominent feature. Um, he does look good, right? You're in, a, you're in a system where you're constantly rotating. And I think I'll, I'll follow the precursor this with, it's just preseason games. Just take a look at the teams that we ended those games with and you'll realize how unimportant these things were. Um, but, you know, having him involved and, and starting some of these games is obviously a nod to, to something that he's doing in training or something that the Zerbi sees in him. Um, you have to remember we've got four different competitions we have to play in this season. And if there's someone that is young and under that under 21 cap that we can also rely on, um, then that's that's obviously something that the Zerbi can, can flirt around with. Um, but... I won't look into his performances too much. I think it's just, I think it's actually quite nice to see one of these homegrown talents also getting the nod and going out to the US and being a prominent feature in these games. Um, it's just a testament to, to Deserby seeing something in these players and, and being able to, to look at everyone and not just the, the people we're spending a lot of money on. I want to, I wanted to, uh, two weeks ago, start this or have this conversation with you uh, as to who was the person that stood out in the new intake, right, of the players we've signed this summer. Um, I'm just going to cut straight to the chase on that and let's talk about Jao Pedro um, because, wow, uh, I was a fan of his when Watford signed him um, and he showed signs, uh, and this is a football manager signing it all over, by the way, is why <laughs> I was a fan of him. Um, and I was jealous when Watford got him and I was even more annoyed when Newcastle were looking like they were going to take him uh, a year or so ago. Um but I totally fell off his radar when Watford went down into the championship. They're a crap team with a crap stadium with crap fans. I don't care. Uh, so I just ignored them entirely and like hoped that they would continue to sink into irrelevancy. Um, but Jao Pedro apparently has been their captain and talisman for the entire season. Uh, and it's basically, according to Watford fans themselves, uh, who are just about as cynical as I am about Watford, which says something, um, basically said that he's the only reason they weren't in a relegation battle last season and even threatened to make a playoff spot was solely down to Jao Pedro. Uh, three preseason games later, and I understand completely, this kid at 21 years old in a preseason friendly looks levels above half of the defenders he was playing against that are supposed to be at the top of their class as Premier League defenders. He is going to be a problem. He looked good on the right. He looked good in the middle. Him and Ferguson could be a nasty combination. 
it's going to be a very exciting season for our record signing, don't you think? I think it's bonkers that we've spent £30 million on a player who could turn out to be a bargain at £30 million. That's how That's how I'd sum it up. Uh, yeah, he's... I don't know. I, I, I've not been excited, as, as excited about a prospect as him for quite a while. Like he, look, he just looks of the real deal. Um, I'm going to interject just very quickly for those, I know people listening on a recording, this is irrelevant, but those that are listening live, Chelsea did just sign uh, Axel De Sassi from Monaco for 45 million euros centre-back. Um, that's starting centre-back money. I know Fafana's out injured, but, you know, interesting. Um yeah, I mean, Jao Pedro felt right. I know people were talking about, and all the Watford fans were basically saying his best position is to um, play behind the striker, but he can play pretty much across the front any way you want him. We saw that, right? We saw him playing a bunch of different roles, even in the preseason games. But um, I'll tell you what, the, the, the funniest thing for me is how long ago was it where we all collectively, as Albion fans, didn't it seem like forever where we've basically been saying, tell you what, once one decent striker away from being a really good team and it went on forever and ever and ever and it felt what 18 months ago a little longer Mo, all our eggs were in the Neil Mope basket who can barely get a game for Everton now now we've got a 21 year old who looks like a potential world beater at any point in the near future and then what Evan Ferguson's still 19 or whatever he is talking about as like the net island's next great hope and uh, big clubs already thinking about maybe making moves for him in the near future because of his, his, his ability. Like what? Like, and, then you've got, <laughs> and then you've got Danny Welbeck as someone who's had an outrageous career when you compare him to an awful lot of players who played in the Premier League and for England. And then you can start to appreciate why Dennis Undav is sort of slowly backing out of the conversation. Yeah, it's uh, uh, like we found ourselves in a sort of weird embarrassment of riches with a combined age of those two, nearly combined age of what Danny Welbeck is. Like, that's your that's your nine and your ten for as long as you can keep them. Yeah. It's nuts. So, and there's there's options there too. You, you talk about your Ferguson versus Jao Pedro, right? And I think. A lot of what a Jao Pedro brings is a lot of those runs in behind, whilst Ferguson's very much a let's hold it up and let and let's get everyone else involved. Um, if you play those two as those, I guess those two false nines that you talk about, those two forwards that drop in to the to the center circle, um, it's dangerous. Like, and I think just throughout the games that I watched of him, again preseason precursor, they don't mean a thing, whatever. But like it the skill that he brings and how funny he is to watch as well, combined with actually how dangerous he's going to be. Um, it's going to be really fun under that Deserby system. Um, There's no centre-back who's going to enjoy Jao Pedro running at them this season. Not at all. No. no absolutely not. Um, so, And if he does play on the right and he does provide competition for Solly March as well, then, yeah, left-backs aren't exactly um, exempt from the conversation either. So it's... One of those versatility signings that looks like it's already paying dividends or will already pay dividends. Yeah, insane. Uh, just phenomenally good for those first three uh, preseason friendlies. Um, a player also, just because we're going through all of them, really, um, Verbruggen, 
20 million pounds on a new goalkeeper. Uh, safe to say Sanchez is almost definitely off to Chelsea at this point. Seems to be all but a formality, given that just about all the tier ones are reporting it now. What are um, they doing? What are they uh, doing? Like, why are they <laughs> just? Why didn't they just buy Brighton? I don't. I just don't get it. It's yeah, it's baffling, um, but also quite funny when you see players like that heading out to teams that are supposed to be eyeing up titles and trophies. Um, but uh, the. The new goalkeeper played his first proper game in earnest, I think, really, was this most recent one against Newcastle. Um, and I I stayed up to watch that one. And however pathetic it may have been, he was one of the people I was most excited to see because I knew we were going to immediately expect him to be able to produce what Steele was doing. And I couldn't wait to see if he could cope with it. I have zero concerns. Yeah, He nah. is just bafflingly calm at 20 years old. I think there was one dodgy pass, uh, which I think you're inevitably going to get because I think we've seen Steele pull off one or two dodgy passes every 90 minutes, um, as opposed to Sanchez's six six every half an hour. Um, but but Verbruggen, uh, obviously it was a bit of a mission to get him uh, because Vincent Company was in love with him. Um, proper enamoured with him. He wanted to only play for company, uh, but he's here now under Deserby. Apparently, a phone call with Roberto changed things, uh, which I imagine would probably change a lot of people's lives if he came at you with a plan. Uh, um, and he's here, and I suspect that we are going to be employing a Manchester City goalkeeper rollout. Do you do you agree with that? And by that, I mean we're going to have one for the league and one for all the cup competitions, uh, and whoever is whatever they're probably going to be quite happy with it yeah, yeah I, I would expect i can't imagine he's going to go straight in as number one against luton i'd be surprised if he started the luton game but who knows i agree with you. i think we will end up with both keepers playing a decent number of games across the season but i'm with you josh i'm not quite sure which way around it's going to be as yet are you, are you comfortable either way I think it's just an open question. Yeah. Like, it's just, that's, it, I don't mind, right? It's sort of like, if you told me there was one over another, I'd be like, that's absolutely fine. And I think you see Steele as a short-term option. I think we, we can all agree that at sort of 32, I don't think we should be building a team around Jason Steele, but I can appreciate what he brings. And um, you've got Verbruggen, who's 20 years old and is someone for the long term, that this could be a very special player. And he had a lot of, a lot of hoo-ha about him before he came and, and sort of his, his exploits in, in international football as well. So um, I think we can all see that short-term versus long-term, but I couldn't care who, who starts that first game because I'm comfortable with both. There's not a huge number of clubs in the Premier League that you could genuinely say, I'm not bothered which of my two goalkeepers plays today. Well, apart from uh, weirdly Arsenal trying to sign David Raya is apparently the Yeah, thing. I saw but that. What, That's a bit of an odd there? one. What are they going to do with um, Ramsdale? Ramsdale's just awful with his feet, though. That's the that's the only thing yeah. I can think of. Yeah, yeah. it must be some of us. It's a weird situation, but yeah, I I um, I'll tell you what, he must have he must have gone mad at Van Hecker. Poor guy comes in against Chelsea, like gets subbed on at half time, doesn't he? Somewhere around there. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't. Uh, yeah, he hadn't yeah. been on for very long. Van Hecker comes in, does his stupidity. And it's like Chelsea. Oh, well, here we go. Let's have a game. Madrid decides to show up finally. And just they just pepper the goal. He must have been like, Christ Almighty, I just come in, I want to like have an easy first half of football in America. And then Van Hecker gets sent off in a friendly. But um, 
So I was at, uh, at the Red Bull Stadium. I think I was row four or something. So right pitch side. Um, and the first half for Brigham was pretty much like 20 feet away. Um, tell you what, yeah. When you say, I think that it, one word, relaxed, as as you were talking about before. It's, he did not care that I was terrified of the Newcastle players running and I wasn't on the bloody pitch. <laughs> he just did not. He was completely like it was clear that he's come in. He knows exactly, as you say, there's a reason this this kid was highly regarded by people. You know, you could say companies fairly in the know. Um, like he's he he feels ready made for this system. There's very few twenty year old keepers that can come in and look that comfortable playing out into a system that's fairly fairly unusual. This is not the normal way of playing football, as we all know. That's why it works so well. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 excited. Like still that pass that he made for the assist for a dingle that we talked about before. That's a guy that's still gonna play football this year. Absolutely. But tell you what, like, I mean, what are we talking about here? We're we're excited about a twenty one year old centre forward, a twenty year old goalkeeper, a twenty one year old winger in a dingra that we've been talking about. Like and then we've got the old guard that can still like world class players like Milner that come in at thirty seven years old, like what, and CISO's still a teenager, isn't he? Is he? And CISO's, yeah. yeah, yeah. What is he? He's like... 19, I think. Something... I, I, think, I keep yeah. forgetting. You've got Buonanotte, he's still, he's still a teenager. I think he's 18, isn't he? I mean, yeah, how, how, how... I tell you, another player we've not mentioned, we could talk about everyone at this point. I tell you who I keep being impressed with massively every time I watch him play, every single game, Billy Gilmore. Like, I, honestly, I think he's going to get a lot of football this year. Agreed. 22. Um, Mad, isn't it? Ayari is still a teenager as well. Haven't I can't really believe we got rid of, of Sarmiento. We haven't talked about that either. Like that, with that sport for choice, I'm shocked it's at just, that. Yeah, one. it's a numbers game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Off to West Bromwich Albion, uh, which will be a really interesting loan. He's going to rip um, it up if he stays fit. He needs a full season. I, it's really a thing that he's never been. I think he's never been able to put together more than three or four games back to back, fitness wise. Yeah. So I think that's obviously the concern they've gone. We've got no doubt about your ability, but can you go and play 40-odd games in the championship? That's the Which question. Horrible division to play in physicality-wise. If you can come, so out, if you can come out of that, having, if you can survive fitness-wise, having played you know 35-plus games in the championship this coming season, you've got to think he's going to be hitting you know, 10, 15 assists easy yeah. but it'd be interesting yeah. to see i think if you're a goalkeeper i don't think you're too fussed uh as to where you're what, what role you're playing right if you're bart right and you're told you've not beaten jason to the number one spot like how could you have really it's almost impossible to he hasn't done anything wildly wrong he hasn't like punched a fan in new jersey even though adam probably goaded him a little bit uh he probably should have done <laughs> um and I don't think Bart's going to have, like, Verbruggen's going to have too many issues with that, right? Like, that's just the way, like, these things work. Um, so, you know, we'll get one or two games into the Premier League and then we'll get that Carabao Cup game in and he'll get to play that. And then within a week and a half, two weeks time after that, he could be playing, he could be heading to Milan. He could be going to Ajax uh, and fronting up our our starting eleven against teams that are an elite level in Europe, right? And he's going to get six of those back to back to back every other week, um, along with whatever Carabao Cup games he gets. And then with all of a sudden, Christmas is upon us, and he's played 10, 12 games, uh, and 
six six of them are at a massively strong level. Um, and at that point, you may end up seeing it switch over. I think. I think. I I think we may have a switching over at some point, um, just naturally, similar to the Sanchez and Steele yeah, situation. Agreed. Um, but if you're Jason Steele and we make it out of the knockout rounds uh, into the knockout rounds, you're gutted, right? That you're no longer Premier League number one. But at the same time, you're now put into a position where you are going to be playing in every FA Cup game. And you're also then going to be sitting pretty wherever the hell we're going in a call it like, you know, a round of 16 uh, in the Europa League, which is not a competition many goalkeepers ever get to play in. Uh, and I suspect Mr. Steele never thought he would find himself <laughs> in that position 18 months ago. Um, so I think we're in a real sweet spot having the qualification that we have this year, that we're having these keepers be so interchangeable. I think potentially we don't get the deal done if not we're not, you know, if we haven't got the other competitions, prestige wise, potentially we don't <clears> get the deal done. And number of games wise, like you say, the fact you can offer two decent keepers a decent number of games each is a is a big draw. Yeah, yeah. Um, another signing that we've made uh, that has a lot of prestige uh, or rather experience in prestigious competitions. Uh, Craig, what did you make of Mahoud Dahoud? Mahoud Dahoud? Silky. I like him a fair bit. Um, it just him in that sort of double double pivot that we, we love to talk about. But I think just he's such a calm and silky footballer. I think he's going to fit in really well. Um, it just a testament to how much experience we have in the middle as well. We talked about the wings. We talked about the forwards and all the depth options that we have. Um, you're talking about Billy Gilmore that had a really good show in. You know, if Caicedo stays, that's also you know, incredible. You've got Pascal Gross. You've now got Mo the Hood, right? That those are four very good double pivot players that you can swap in and out. Um, and it's just a really good little quadrant that you have there. Uh, I thought he was good. Uh, he got very riled up in that Newcastle game as well. Um, he he was uh, he was not happy at all. But talk about Sting, right? He, he's clearly he's got something. Um, he's very good. We know that he's very good. He's played a lot of games at a very high level. Uh, it's just about integrating him into how we want to play. Um, I liked him. It took him a moment, but I, th- I think he's he's very nice and he's very relaxed as well. Um, again, just across all of our signings is that just everyone is very calm and, and very uh, relaxed in, in how they play their football. Um, I think he's going to be a very good rotation option again. I don't think he's going to be a key feature in that sort of double pivot unless he makes it himself. Um, I fully see that being... I mean, even Gilmore and Caicedo at the moment, I would love to play those two. Um, so it'll take some time to try and get into that starting 11. I would, don't see him in that that first 11 immediately. You don't? I do? No, I, I don't. I, he's, 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 a, he's, he's in the first 11 for me. I, I But I also completely agree that I keep I keep getting shocked by our squad depth. And maybe I'm going to regret mm-hmm. saying this. <laughs> because we're going to like, but we were talking at the end of this last season, like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Like, we don't like this could, this could go badly. We're a couple of injuries away from devastation. We So we got rid of Mac, obviously. Um, like, as you say, you, li- you listed off a few of those names there, Craig, like who can, who can fill in. And I guess you've got to think about the double pivot and then the one slightly more advanced player. But yeah, Kaiseido, I don't know who, fingers crossed, touch wood, whatever, pray to who you want. Maybe he stays. Looks like maybe he's staying. Who knows? 
But Caicedo, Dahoud, Gilmore, we haven't talked about Pascal Gross if he plays in his actual normal position instead of right back. We haven't talked about Lalana. He's still like fairly pivotal to this team for another year. Milner, of course, we haven't seen him. Like, there's so many players that can play in these roles that for me are all completely capable of being starters in the Premier League, which is nuts. Like, and not just like bottom end Premier League starters. These are like, <laughs> we know James Milner's quality. Dahoud's been played Champions League football. Like, this is what? It's just incredible. I don't even know what the question was or what we even talk about. Who was I mean, it? I mean, we may as well cut that. That's it, really. That's our preview <laughs> for next week. Um, if you, <laughs> yeah, there you go, because that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the wealth of options. Um, is I guess the who does the question mark is his fitness, isn't it? Yeah. I know historically he's had, but then I've read that he was actually fit last year, but obviously couldn't really get in ahead of Bellingham and others, which is. That's fair, to be honest. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you can't get past Jude Bellingham, that's not an arguably the best centre midfield in football. Yeah, yeah. And you know, if you know, if we talk about players that we've had who've had historic injury problems, we appear to have fixed Danny Welbeck when Man United couldn't, Arsenal couldn't, and England couldn't. So I'd be pretty confident that if Dahoud needs any, you know, any kind of medical medical interventions or anything like that, I'd be pretty confident that we'll, we'd be able to keep him fit as well. Well, our two absolutely hench physios come in and give us deep tissue massages. I was about to say, they'll, they'll snap you back into place. Is it, is it more just you're afraid that you don't want to get injured? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the You're going to do anything yeah. to not get injured at all. <laughs> um, no, superb. Uh, so I think that's about it, really. Um, I've only got one last question for you um, before we wrap, I think. Um, next week will be all about Luton and what the season looks like ahead. We'll be talking about a lot of those squad members we've just talked about. Um, we'll talk about what that starting eleven looked like in what is probably going to be our dress rehearsal, right, and what it's going to look like against Luton. We'll talk about Luton. We'll talk about the newly promoted teams. We'll talk about probably the resurgence of teams like Chelsea and Liverpool that really had a weird season last year. Um, but one last question for you. Uh, Moises Caicedo, today, yes or no, will he be a Brighton and Albion player when the transfer window slams shut at the end of August? Yes or no? I'm, I'm, no. Still, a, I'm still a no, yeah. And I the do, reason I, why I, I think... Yes, then. I think the reason why I think it's a no is I think the rest of the club's transfer business is contingent on it being a no. Nah, whether I, that's right or wrong, and as in whether you would be in favour of that or not, I think if it's whether or not the club think that if he goes, you could get... Obviously, you're not going to get a like-like replacement. I think everyone would agree. You're not going to find... Well, who knows? I say that. But the likelihood is we're not going to find a like-for-like replacement. It's whether the club think that they can add someone with a decent amount of quality to the midfield options and get potentially Colwell and a fullback. If you get three players like that, does that actually make you more resilient? We're signing Locatelli. We're signing Locatelli if he goes. But yeah, I think think it'll be a no. But I think it will happen, annoyingly, I think it will happen late in the window. Well, okay. Maybe can I put this? Just you didn't answer. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think he will actually. You think I'm he stays? Say yes. Yeah, I do. 
Oh, we're two and two. Okay. Well, how about? Yeah, but you just said yes to be spiteful. So what's that's, the real answer? That's what I've, that's what I've done for my entire life. I just, just take the yeah. Uh, the no, but I do based on the latest utterings, and of course it can change. I do feel like they are a bit of an impasse, and Chelsea are just like, look, we just don't want to. We can't be bothered to spend the money in Brighton. Aren't gonna. We're not in a position where we have to have to sell. It's like, all right, so you sign the new contract. It's like whatever. We don't need to sell them to you. Um, but of course, we don't know the the, the underlying part of that "quote unquote" gentleman's agreement. We don't know what was said. We don't know if we're going back on that at all. I can't. Doesn't feel like the kind of thing that Bloom and Barber would do. Um, but would you? I guess the other question is, where would you be happy of him going? As in, like, if he did go to Chelsea and we did get Colwell as a as a as a, a you know part of that deal, and you got Colwell and I don't know twenty million, are you happy with that? No, I'd want him to, if he's going anywhere. I want him to go to Real Madrid, and I want him and Bellingham to be their midfield for the next fifteen years. <laughs> if I had to, if I had to write it, that's There's, where I want him to go. I think that Madrid are fairly okay with midfield depth. Yeah, um, valid. Yeah. What, Josh? Craig, do you, like? What, would you be happy? With, I don't know. Caicedo. Maybe let me frame it another way. Let's say it's Caicedo with Caicedo. Uh, Caicedo for Colwell and some money, and we use that money to buy Kudus. I think that, uh, I think, first of all, you're right. I think they are at an impasse, and that's why I think it's a no. That's why I think he'll stay. I think it basically is going, is going, and obviously we don't know this, right, but this is how I feel like it's going every week. They're like, picking up the phone on Monday, and they're like, hey, like, what's the situation on Moises? Do you want to sign him for 80 million? And they're like, yeah, if you include Coltwell. And they go, nah, Coltwell's not for sale. And they go, all right, 100 million then. He goes, no, we're not paying that. And he goes, all right, well, what about like 81 million? He's like, yeah, if you include Colwell. He goes, no, but I don't want to sell Colwell. He goes, all right, 100 million. He goes, all right, I'll call you tomorrow. And that's literally every day. Like, they just, well, <laughs> just I, say it's the same thing. Like, if you're not going to include Colwell, then 100 million pound. And if you're not going to include him and you don't want to include him, then it's not going to go anywhere. It's like, like arguing with a voice assistant, isn't it? Like, <laughs> round, round and round. Um, Josh, did you not want to make a, were you not going to make a, a comparison with the Dale Stevens situation? Uh, yes. Yeah, you yes. created a little bit of, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, upset upset, that. I did upset one specific Twitter user, so I apologise <laughs> um, that I didn't just tell you before I put the podcast out. Uh, people get so upset over the weirdest things on the internet. It's okay, touch grass, you'll be all right. It's nice out, well, it's not outside, actually, it's terrible. No, don't okay. touch grass. Um, yes, so Dale Stevens, as we all know, but a history lesson for those that are, well, you know, a big part of the USA contingent maybe and weren't around for that that time time of, uh, of the Albion. Um, but Tony Bloom has a history of doing this, right? Like he can be horribly stubborn and risk it uh, with a player that has the potential to become a club cancer. Um, but he and the way Brighton as a team act counters that so much so and we've already seen it in january right i think it's pretty clear there was no pact or gentleman's agreement uh that all came from romano who said it was all a pact with deserbi and deserbi has came out and said that's absolute bullshit and we all know that it's nonsense because that's not how our structure has ever worked under tony bloom 
Roberto De Zerbi would not be manager of Brighton and Albion today if he was making pacts with players in February. Well, by the way, we also, when there has been rumours of similar-ish types of things, with in the case of Alexis McAllister, we've honoured them and we've inserted that into the contract aspect where he could leave for what would have been something probably below his value. Like, we've seen that. Trossard as well, Bazuma yep. as well. Like, we've done it. Like, we have, we have that. Uh, but, yeah, Dale Stevens. You know, we got to the end of that season. The Middlesbrough game happened. Uh, we all know how that turned out. We didn't go up. Um, we lost out on goal difference. And the general consensus was if we keep Kyle and Stevens, we'll be okay. Because they were the best two central midfielders in that division by a long shot. But everybody thought that Stevens was definitely on his way because of how good he was. And Burnley came in. It must have been about 25 times it felt like reading it on the internet at the time. But Burnley put massive pressure on to get Dale Stevens. And Tony was the most stubborn man in the world and was like, no, he's not going. Whatever price it was he put on that no one knows about, right? Like whatever the actual price that was in his head, Burnley never got anywhere near it, clearly, because they didn't go. And the general consensus from everybody was Brighton made a massive mistake Dale Stevens is going to be a total cancer to the club. It's going to be an absolute shit show. It's going to blow back in their face. Everything's going to go horribly wrong. They've lost out on potentially lots of money as well with FFP in the championship and struggling to make a living in in that league, blah, 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 blah. And we went up the following season, all on the back of that decision. He was superb, unbelievable. Incredible. uh, Iconic videos in in the city centre of him jumping on people's cars. Uh, And... That's where we, and you know, he went on to play what two, three, three seasons in the Premier League with us before eventually getting his move to Burnley um, and continuing to do what he did there. But we have a history of doing. Well, Tony has a history of doing this. Let's give him the credit where it's due. This is him and the poker side of things coming into this here. If he wants to keep a player, there is no doubt in my mind that Moises Caicedo is not going to upset the boat if he does not leave this summer. No doubt in my mind. Because if there was, Tony would have already figured a way of getting a deal done with Bowley and co. And he wouldn't have signed a... Caicedo wouldn't have signed a contract without a release clause. Right. Exactly. Especially, you know, like... Given what South American These South American players, like, release clauses are very common, right? Like, this is... That's the bread and butter. There's no way that he's not going to have thought that himself, even with his dodgy agents. Like, he himself would have brought it up in those conversations at that point. Like, he's not an idiot. Like, he's a quiet, reserved guy that clearly has a superb footballing brain and is probably a pretty smart dude. Hired the wrong people and did the wrong thing. But you can tell his emotional intelligence by the fact that he came back in February and then tore it up for the rest of the season, right? Like, he's not an idiot. Tony knows what he's doing here. We've done this dance before in the championship. I love the fact that Tony is as Deserby said, having big balls and going toe-to-toe with the absolute pinnacle of these top teams and doing the exact same shit he did to Burnley, to Chelsea. Just like, it just adds that extra bit of like spice to it for me. Now, will Chelsea eventually cave and bid and end up spending £95 million on Moises Caicedo and leave at the end of August? Possibly. Like, they are that stupid. Like, that's something they absolutely can do. And, like, will they see it as, like, this huge victory? Of course they will. Like, why wouldn't they? It's not their money. It's Todd Bowley's. But it's not even really all that is. to say, well, yeah. no. <laughs> all, that to, all that to say, 
we've done this dance before. I know there's going to be not really any Chelsea fans listening to this, but like, you're not special. You're not anything new. Like Tony's done this before. And what happened was at the time, one of our greatest seasons in our history on the back of that, there's no reason to think that we could not commit to that again. We're about to have on paper our most exciting season in 127 years of existence or whatever it is. Like it's, it's not, they don't have the pool. They think they do when it comes to going toe to toe with Tony. It just, it doesn't work. We've done this. I, I think the nuance of it as well is that he, he knows exactly, or he seems to have the sense of when a player reaches the very top of their valuation curve. So he's done it with McAllister. McAllister's won the world cup. He's come back. He's continued the performances. And Tony has probably gone. His stock is never going to be higher than now. If we're going to sell him, this is the moment. You've got to remember, Caicedo's only played, what, one and a half seasons? Just about. He's probably thinking, if he has another good season in the Premier League, and he plays in Europe, and he continues to play for Ecuador, he's not reached his pinnacle in terms of the value curve for us yet. So I don't think financially, it, even a hundred million pounds is eye-watering. I don't think, I think it could go higher. I think in 12 months time, it could be higher than that. So well, I think he, Tony's yeah. looking at it. I think he's, he'll, and the other thing is, I think he also, I mean, Paul Barber always says that they don't stand in the way of people's career at any level, you know, whether that's, Paul and Stanley going, whether that's Dan Ashworth going, whether that's a player going. So they're not fundamentally standing in the way, but what they're doing is they're, it's got to work for both parties. And in this instance, I think at £100 million they would sell, but I still think there would be a tinge of we could have kept him and we could have got more. I, th- I agree. I think they, I, honestly, I think probably some 95 probably does it. And I, this is fairly arbitrary, but I, I it, that would seem enough where they, they would see it as a victory, right? To a certain extent. Uh, and they stood to their guns, but I, Craig, I don't know what you think about this, but like we've talked about sort of the more, the less intangible stuff and not to belabor all these points. Cause I know they've been discussed this deal. I'm so sick of hearing about this fucking Kaiseido Chelsea deal, but like, honestly, if you, if, if you are him, put yourself in his boots right now and uh, you could see with your own eyes for, for everyone that kind of got this that the access in the in the, Euro, the u.s tour here and for those of you that have been able to see the albion up close for for you know the last few months and last year when kaisodo has been the starter he's playing with his like one of his close mates in st pinning one of his countrymen we've got this massive contingent of like 19 20 21 year old south americans where Basically, he's got a really nice friends group. He's comfortable. He's basically led this team to their best ever finish. He's going to be able to play European football. I know this has been discussed a lot, but like, if you're him, do you really? I don't buy the idea that the, the, the news is coming out like he's pushing massively for the move and he's trying to force it. Why? Why? Like just for one year of additional earning, I, I I don't I don't buy it because as you say, Robin, I think you do it even if you just do another year and it's not the greatest year of football of your life. You've still played European competition. You've still been in your life with, in the personal aspect where you're in a good setup. Then then take your move. It's it's what well, it doesn't need to be now. I think his international captain's told him not to go, hasn't he? 
Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. I mean, uh, obviously, or you think Chelsea are not going to be such a basket case under Poch, but we don't know that. We don't know that yet. So you've looked at Chelsea last season, and they, you know, they're a mess. Financially, they're a mess. You know, tactically, results-wise, infighting in the dressing room. You know, whatever standpoint you choose to look at it from, they were a mess. That you do not fix that over one preseason. And statistically, all managers of Chelsea with last names beginning with P.O. have been horrendously bad. So. <laughs> You know, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Craig, what do you think? I just, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying, right? I think from a personal standpoint, you know, if you put yourself in the player's shoes, there's a there's a a very sort of tangible step up this year. You're now playing European football. You're one of the first names on the team sheet. You play with your countrymen and your friends and the people that you've been with for the last 18 months. Um, and you're going to go to a team that will pay you more, a lot more. And I think the prospects of doing well in the long term is probably better. But, I don't need to do that right now. I yeah. could do 12 months more here. I could do that. And we'll see how far we get into Europe. If there's a next step up, you know, again, I'm not saying this is going to happen anyway, but if you if you go really far into the Europa League and you start playing European football again next season and you keep this sort of train of momentum up that we've got going, fantastic. There's no point in me leaving as long as I get my dues and I get my compensation, right? It, mm. it then just comes down to money for me and money only. Right. Because there's no tangible step up in football here. There's really no need to leave unless it's for a monetary perspective. And that is also perfectly fine for a footballer to think about. You look at all this Saudi stuff that I'm sure we'll get into another time. But there's a lot of focus on money, love, that sort of stuff. Right. That's it is what it is. So from a from a business perspective or even from a club perspective, it's also we have we don't have a 100 million replacement for Caicedo at the moment, right? You talk about the Basuma-Caicedo comparisons, right? It was like, right, we just need one more year because then Caicedo can come in, right? I feel like there's not that ready-made replacement just yet. You can look at Kozlowski going back to Vitesse. You can look at Ayari and whether he's, you know, visibly ready. Um, there's no real direct replacement for me yet. So therefore, we have to stay strong on that 100 mil. Um, and we've talked about the depth around the four or five that you could play in that centre midfield role. But I feel like unless the valuation is met, it's not worth us doing it. Um, and I think that's obviously where, where Bloom and Barber and co all see it coming from is it doesn't make it viable for us unless we get this eye-watering amount of money. So then we know that we can fix the problem in the short term. And Josh has got me very excited with a damn Locatelli suggestion. So like, it's, <laughs> that's out of my ass, by the way, just totally, yeah, I, there's no, yeah. <laughs> I haven't even seen anything. So yeah, but if it um, happened, yeah. I made up yeah. the Ischiedo one on the dime as well. After, after, yeah, uh, playing did the, the Ischiedo one came out of left field. Uh, yes, exactly. think about it. Think, no, yeah, you, no, no one's no, getting that. You made up the <laughs> you made up the Matt Ryan one as well, Josh. I did. I manifested the Matt Ryan one. Yeah, you manifested Matt Ryan for about six months before that yeah, happened as well. Thanks, so yeah. thanks a lot for that. You've mate. got form. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good one on that. He was yeah. good for a little bit. Um, yeah, it's just just like Robert Sanchez. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think things that people aren't talking about as well, like that hundred million pound, like twenty percent of it is going to Independiente. In uh, in wherever the hell we got him from, I can't remember where they're from. Which would be twenty million um, for Ecuador, math, aren't they? Math fans, yeah, <laughs> quick maths. Uh, yeah, it'd be twenty odd million pounds that will be going to to that team in South America, um, and that is like game changing for them. They're already doing pretty well, and they've sold like a, they've got a bit of a conveyor belt coming out of South America now, um, 
and Caicedo would be the absolute tip top of that in terms of money coming in. So like we aren't making 100 million pounds off that deal. We're making 80 at that point, which is what they're currently bidding for, right? Like we we know what we're looking for. And at that point, you get 80 million pounds in the bank for Moises Caicedo. You spend 40 of it on Kudus, 40 of it on Locatelli. Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt, everybody's happy. We win the Europa League. Moises Caicedo <laughs> does whatever he wants to do, and everyone's good, right? Like it doesn't, it's that's all right. But if we if we start selling for 80 million quid, then that again, we're getting smaller and smaller cuts, and then you can only buy Locatelli. And then if someone gets hurt and Kudus isn't there to step in and destroy the league, like then we're in trouble. So well, the, it makes total sense to me. If we're now absolutely in cloud cuckoo land, <laughs> would you rather have Colwell and Kudus? or Kudus and Locatelli as a Caicedo replacements? Can I have Colwell and Locatelli? Colwell and Locatelli. <laughs> yeah, those two instead. Can I just not have yeah. Kudus at all? No, you have to have yeah, Kudus. For some reason in this hypothetical, you must have <laughs> Kudus. No, <laughs> yeah. It's some kind of like actual pact with Veltman that you yeah. have to get. <laughs> it's <stuff> forced. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't... I really hope we keep him because I know it sounds incredibly like foolish to say but uh, obviously watching him play on tv is one thing i know it's a pre-season but he truly is like it's nuts he's i know he's 21 years old but he he's he is a he's a cadillac when he you you see him play and he's just he fits into this system so so well like there's never a fear when he gets the ball that anything but something good is going to happen like it is ridiculous and I know I've we reeled off earlier all the other like players that we have in that can play in those roles. But I think Craig, you're absolutely right. Like he's he's a cut above already at 21, and even your Dahoods and, and and your other guys that you have in there. And that's you don't replace that that easy. Even if you bring in one of those other names that we've talked about, like there's a reason we're asking for a hundred million. Like he's pretty good. <laughs> like yeah, I think that's that's the strap line for the pod, isn't it? I say though, pretty good. Uh, before I forget, by the way, Jay, I did see your comment. That's, I'm not going to repeat it because it's 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 very nice of you to say. But like, uh, I also met. You should have said hi, by the way, at the training and, and the game. It would have been awesome to to, to see someone uh, that that listens as well. I know Craig, you bumped into a couple of people. I did speak to another guy uh, at the training session, Tahir. Um, who's uh who's a fan based out near near philly and he listens to us on his commute uh fairly often if you're listening hi to here it was awesome meeting you he became an album fan he's a iranian and he became an album fan because of jahank bash and then he's like oh god once he left and he just stuck or he's stuck with the album he's fallen in love yeah got we've, we've got another in our, in our other well. whatsapp group yeah we've got yeah. another iranian guy um who's also in the states so that he went to um, called amir he went to a couple of the games similarly oh, there you go um, he's based in I don't know Arizona, I, I think. Arizona, no, Colorado. Yeah. No, he's Colorado, in Colorado. Yeah. He's from and Arizona. similarly, he um, you know he fell in love with the album because of um, Ali Razor, and he is uh, yeah he's hung so around. Fun. Yeah, this is so what's so happens. nice to see. Like it, this is just like collection of people and fans that um, I wonder if we, so we talked about this as well. I wonder if we've still got some South African fans from the, the Percy Tower experiment. But like there's, I can I can tell you that my wife's South African. Um, so I go to South Africa quite a lot and I was there three, four weeks ago. And in the airport in Johannesburg, you can buy an Albion shirt. I didn't, That's I wouldn't wild. have ever guessed that. Premier League clubs in that you could buy a Liverpool shirt, Man United shirt, Chelsea shirt and a Brighton shirt. Those were your four Premier League clubs you could buy. 
That's nuts. And this is like, well, I know there's, a, there's no mistake that we, we've done a US tour. And and by the way, we talked about this together, but the rumours that maybe we're looking at a, a tour out east uh, next year with Japan, sense, potentially, it? right? With the, the Matoma effect, which would be, oh my God, how incredible would that be? Um, but like, this is it. For those that have been Brighton fans for decades and decades and decades, like, this is not your same old club anymore. I know it's this is this is an international club that's got fans. It was incredible to see all these fans, by the way, that all these Albion shirts in the streets of New Jersey. And I'd never seen a single Albion shirt before three days ago, two days ago. And it's just it's it's remarkable. Like it's such an awesome thing to see. I think that has wrapped it perfectly. I think we're good. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's just summarized it superbly well. Uh, the fact that we could get that amount of people in three different venues <laughs> for you all to enjoy and attend is yeah. just awesome. I think um, my final point would be, I think it's nice that American Express get a bit of a payback having put in quite a lot of money. Amex already get their, they always get their 2%. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you know, they stepped up and they, we got quite a decent sponsorship deal from them when we weren't in the Premier League. So I think it's nice that they get a bit of a bit of um a bit of exposure back. But they look like they put on a couple of decent events as well. If anyone Robin. from American Express is listening, we are open to sponsorship deals, bribes, um pretty much all of the above. Yeah. 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 Fair. <laughs> uh superb. All right, perfect. So we will be back next week, uh probably around this same time. Uh, on Sunday simply because we've got the preseason friendly on the Saturday. Robin, are you going to that? I'm not. No, I am not going to that. No, I don't think Definitely many people not. will be, honestly, um, because uh, I think it's train strikes on that weekend as yeah, well. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Make and it the looting game. Extremely it's a, difficult. It's a train strike for the looting game as well. <sighs> yeah, I'm already prepping to drive all the way down there instead, uh, instead of taking a nice easy train. So I think it's going to put people off massively for the rail game. Um, yeah. but hopefully they air it they've done a really good job of that um, of airing that final game of preseason. Uh we could always watch it couldn't we guys in the States even like it was pretty accessible so yeah uh, alright perfect well we will be back next week uh, we will get into the Premier League we will get into a little bit about the Saudi League um, and we will hope that oh gosh uh, are we <laughs> yeah we will um, and I think Craig, I think you're spot on with it uh, for the Caicedo saga. I think the only thing that's going to matter here is money and how many fat bags of cash they can put into Moises' pocket. And we will just see how long that lasts on a weekly basis now. We'll see this unfold as we chat. Um, so we will be back next week, uh, same time, same rap channel. And uh, yeah, have a good week, everybody. Be safe. Thanks, everyone. Thanks all.